All right. Oh, the Dan Macon. How are you doing today? This is Cheap Stuff You Should Know, and this is Ryan Mahoney. I tried to hit the recording button while you were mid-laugh to catch you laughing, and you just quieted up perfectly like a <laughs> professional. I'm impressed. How are you today, sir? I am doing well. How are you today, Ryan? Pretty good. Pretty good. You're recording from the asylum up there in, in uh, Auburn? I am. I am in the brick walls of the of the cooperative extension office this morning. How do you get your posters to stick to the wall in the brick? Gum, chewing gum. Chewing gum? Yep. Really? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I chew lots of gum. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I'll have to try that. <laughs> it's it's pretty soft brick, actually. Really? Not... Are you able to thumbtack in there? No, what actually what we do is use those sticky velcro strips and oh yeah. Stick them to the wall. Yeah. Okay. No, I got a poster. I got a poster that I want to put on the my door and I need some kind of adhesive thing. So that might make that might work pretty that good. That could work. That could it, work. It's a I do you did you I I think I think you were you were uh I think it was a little bit uh I think you were a little old for this show, but there's a show on HBO called Flight of the Concords. Like a I, you know this one? I don't. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Uh, it's very hilarious, and uh, it's a bunch of New Zealand guys, and and they move to they have a band, and they um, have their band meetings in the consulate office of New Zealand, and and the guy, who's who's their band manager, and they're a terrible band, which is why it's funny. He has a poster on the wall, and it's like a bunch of sheep with mountains in New Zealand, and it says New Zealand, you should come, E W E. <laughs> and so john printed up a poster that says you should come with like new zealand you should come and i gotta get it up on my wall it's pretty good oh very cool very <laughs> cool now we might we might need to you know john may have a market for those i know well they're probably trademarked or something <laughs> maybe maybe sheep stuff you should know is going to get sued for our um our 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 one dollar in assets just just <laughs> <don't really true. laughs> trademark violations <laughs> make it real vista you should come make it real vista you should come then you got it yeah for sure and there is absolutely no documented proof that we got the idea from a trademark show no absolutely not yeah it's a different continent anyway exactly different rules yeah how are you doing how's lambing you're in the middle of it we are we are technically we're we're seven days in today but it feels like we're at peak man it's just been crazy the breed up was phenomenal this year huh oh my god yeah we're as of this morning, we're over 50% of the use of land wow. in, seven, in seven days. That's amazing. So it's good. Sheep, sheep love drought, don't they? Sheep love drought. And I we didn't follow the Ryan Mahoney um, applied research protocols of only tweaking one aspect of our system last year. <laughs> well, you couldn't. It was a reactive <laughs> year. <laughs> but, you know, we, we used alfalfa as our protein supplement. We boosted our flushing ration. We fed the rams better. And I think all of that kind of culminated in just a phenomenal start to lambing season. It's amazing. Yeah, that's really it's like, cool. It's amazing when those ewes are ovulating together so well. And and, yep. and it, it really is amazing how well they do in the dry weather. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just, and even like carrying the carrying the pregnancy through. I mean, we had that early rainstorm but then it's been so dry afterwards. That's beautiful sheep weather. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right after that, the feed, you know, all the stress is on the farmer and rancher, right? I mean, you're out, <laughs> I seen you digging holes in the ground and measuring soil moisture and starting to panic, but, um, but the sheep are loving it. Sheep are loving it. And they, they yeah. could care less what I'm worried about. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you, you weaned lambs this week, right? Yeah. Well, we've been weaning for a couple of weeks now. We got, I think four bunch, five bunches done um and we'd weaned uh three bunches of twins um three bunches of twins and those were bunches we took to the alfalfa and dixon and then moved to our irrigated pasture and they weaned off at about 90 pounds i can't remember exactly i don't have the notes in front of me but around 90 90 pounds i think one was like maybe 94 and one was 89 or somewhere in there anyway um we had those and that was about five pounds heavier than normal. Mm -hmm. Um, and then yesterday or Tuesday we weaned out of our Hills and, um, I was telling you before we started recording, but, um, so those were, those were our singles out of the lambing camp at Mayhood that we work on. 
Um, they were the singles, uh, lead end of the singles, and then the late lammer. So they would have been the ones born kind of October 20th on till November 15th or so. And those would be mixed twins and singles. And the mixed twins and singles, uh, those weighed 105 pounds, 104 and a half, um, which is just phenomenal because those are 100 day old lambs. Yeah. And then the, um, the lead end singles, which are around 110 to 20 day old lambs, those weaned off at 118 pounds and were literally some of the prettiest sheep i've ever had an opportunity to be a part of i mean it was just absolutely amazing the the growth and the quality of the wool uh, my grandpa was out there and he was talking about how like when those when those sheep are doing well the wool shines it just has a glisten to it almost and it just yeah. you, you really would see it and those those lambs, those are all whiteface for the most part too. There are Rambouillet and a lot of replacement user in that bunch, um, and just I mean, testament to the feed, testament to the guys, testament to the um, the pasture management and rotation. The guys were able to get done right. The uh, vaccinations came at the right times. The weather broke good. I mean, there was a lot of factors that play into a spectacular lamb crop like that. But what a what a what an awesome awesome deal. So. What'd you do to celebrate? Oh, well, you know, I just got up, went to work the next day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's all part of it. It was, it was really cool. Just being able to have my grandpa there and see those lambs. And, and I, it was, yeah, I'll bet. so we, I had a discussion with my grandpa the week before, cause, um, uh, there we're weaning in the hills and when we wean we don't move the lambs and we don't not really moving the sheep we're just we're weaning them to get the lambs off of the milk and onto pure grass and shrinking the bunch side by pulling ewes out which yeah creates better feed opportunity for the lambs and um, then also the other part of that is the ewes will then dry up and start their flushing process now we breed may 1st so we wean march first you got a 60 day flush which is a pretty good pretty good flush uh, most most use and most ranches i think they're only around 30 days a lot of times some don't even have any flush um in in the u.s but um anyway so that that's kind of why we're doing it um but we had a big debate on should we weigh them because we don't have a scale out there at the ranches where we're going to work them we just we you know we're we're just going to wean them through the corrals and look at them and take a guess. But the lambs look so good. I was like, man, I really need a scale. And my grandpa's like, you need to get a gooseneck and like, just, just drive them up and weigh them, you know, a couple drafts or something. But, you know, you put all that time in on the road. It's just, that doesn't work. And so then I was like, no, we're not going to weigh them. I ain't going to waste my time and money for something that doesn't do anything except boost my ego. Well, I was thinking about it and I decided, yeah, I need a scale. So I called my neighbor who had a portable scale and he brought it down and we're paying him some money to do it. And, um, we weighed them all. And, um, I'm really glad I did because my ego yeah. is just through the roof. That <laughs> 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 was great. <laughs> so, yeah. And the other thing too, we weighed, my grandpa was talking about the use and he asked us to weigh a draft of the use just to see where they were at. And, um, so we took the coals that we bagged out and ran them on the scale. They weighed 208 pounds. Are you holy smokes? Yeah, the ewes were 208 pounds, full wool. So you got to take 10 pounds off the wool, yeah. 10 to 10 to 12 pounds. But yeah, just I mean, what a ripping good year! I just wow. absolutely amazing. So good wow. sheep, good structure, good wool quality. I mean, get a 208 pound ewe to shear a 21 micron wool clip is pretty awesome. So yeah. I'm yeah. really excited that hopefully the good feed doesn't coarsen the wool up a little bit, but when, now when will you share April 1st? Okay. Yeah. So we okay. try to wean by March 1st to give them a month to dry up, then shear them April 1st, then do our, um, do any foot rot work and sort our breeding bunches and breed May 1st. So we okay. have basically 30 days. both. Yeah. Sides. Yeah. I think kind of helps the stress a little bit because yeah. shearing's stressful. I mean, yep. It, yeah, it's a stressful time. So we're trying to get sharing scheduled probably the third week of April. We have typically hauled everybody out of our winter feed back to pasture and then hauled again like three weeks later to get them sheared. And I'm trying to eliminate one of those hauls if I can get the feed to hold out where we winter. Yeah, we'll see. 
We'll see. Yeah. Well, what? Um, so you're lambing. You got 50% of the sheep lambed out. Uh, any surprises? Any challenge surprises that you've had pop up? Um, we're seeing we're seeing some um, effects from blue tongue last fall. Oh yeah. Um, we've How had are they displaying themselves abortions or abortions or stillborns. Yeah. Um, Can you diagnose that on a necropsy? Are you able to get that from the lab or? We are could. Pretty far away. We're and I, you know, I'm assuming that's what it is based on what we saw clinical signs last year i probably if we had more i'd take one in yeah just to confirm it but they're you know the fetuses are a little bit malformed yeah um and i suspect we had some subclinical blue tongue that we didn't see you know we didn't see symptoms in the fall but but they had it um so that's uh i was really surprised i mean i'm sure you have similar stuff but i was really surprised at the um on our cattle, we saw it, we talked about this, but, um, on our cattle with the drought that when you have the drought, it changes the seasonality of the grass just enough mm -hmm. to change mm -hmm. that nutrition. And when you're on a scheduled breeding and gestation period, it's amazing the effect on the mm -hmm. development of that uterus or the, the, the fetus. fetus. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uterus it is. is already developed. <laughs> we hope. Yeah. We hope. <laughs> yeah. If it's not, then I screwed up big time. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to come to Dan and Ryan's anatomy class, uh, it'll be, um, it'll yes. be virtual. Be virtual. Ryan will say a lot of things and Daniel be issuing a book full of, of uh, retractions <laughs> and updates at the end. So. Or just BSing his way through it like normal. So of course, of course, that's <laughs> what we're good at. The so little blue tongue and uh, what are any, any good stuff? Any, any, like, I mean, I saw a couple sets of triplets. Yeah. More triplets than we're, we're used to. And those seem to be doing good. And, uh, you know, oh, how's your jackets working? You had the oh, cold yeah. snap come through. Yeah. They're great. They're we're using those lamb max from Shearwell. Yeah. They're little biodegradable plastic raincoats that uh they they've been great. We were down yesterday morning, it was 24 at the house, so it was probably 25, 26 at the ranch. How many lambs do you think that saved for you? Uh just in the last couple of days, I'll bet it saved us a half dozen. Yeah. Oh man, that's worth it. So if that's we get amazing, if we get more rain, which I hope we do, you know, it'll be, it'll be one of the ways we cope with that, mm -hmm. but they've been good. They've been good. And actually we moved because of the, the dry conditions and trying to stay a little longer, we're moving sheep a little further. And, uh, I mean, even these new lambs were moving good, staying with mom and just so. the photos on Instagram, they look like they got excellent, excellent flesh. I mean, really good strong lambs you know they, they are good back cover on them and they're yeah what the what is that brown fat they got when they're born with yep the good the good fat the good fat yep yeah yep yeah now they're they're in the user milking heavy with with this strong feed and All so right. it's good it's good that's fantastic well you got another half to go so yep yep that's good we'll be done by next week <laughs> never works you'll have 10 that are gonna oh no we're months. gonna Oh yeah, we'll have tail enders that'll lamb. Yeah, yeah, we had twenty. Sharing. We had twenty ewes that didn't lamb out for like three weeks after we put like, <laughs> like ten in. We brought the old. We brought the scanner in and we scanned the dries just to try to get you know that tail end and and uh, yeah, we just had twenty of them just for sitting around, happy as heck. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, man. Can I, can I give them a shot of loot or something? <laughs> going. Like, can I do? <laughs> but thankfully, I got a good vet client relationship, and he's like, Ryan, stop, just relax, just let them land. <laughs> my my right, vet, you're... my vet says that too. My yeah, says that too. <laughs> Don't worry about it. They'll come. <laughs> oh man. Well, cool. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit, and this I think this is a good subject uh, for kind of what you're doing right now. But I, I wanted to talk about work and what is work you know we all often we talk a lot you know we will complain about work a lot um but in ranching and farming and then even in just you got a normal job um you know <laughs> you know you where you're paid semi-normal semi yeah you got a you got a you got another job that you're you're working um your wife is a full-time vet so you got that 
um, works but there's you know work is a it's almost kind of a dirty word a lot of times or it's something to be kind of like it's a it's a like mike Rowe does the dirty job we used to do the dirty job show where people millions of people would tune in and watch these jobs that are hard work and everybody looks at them and goes whoa that's hard i wouldn't want to do that and it's almost like a spectacle and so i i wanted to maybe take some time and just dig into what work is and why it's a good thing and kind of like just really try to pick apart that kind of from more of like a philosophical standpoint so to say because I mean, you're knee deep in the middle of lambing and so you are living work right now. and <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. but you're but you're smiling so you know what how would you how would you uh how would, you got to start with definitions how, how would you define work and that's I a give good you, i gave you no preparations so that's a good that's <laughs> so it's totally off the cuff that's yeah. a good question and and sometimes i define stuff by by thinking about what it's not. Yeah. I'm not sure that's a valid way to go about it. I guess work for me is, um, boy, that's a good question. Work is, is accomplishing um, tasks or um, I guess accomplishing tasks that, that, further a particular goal or objective i guess that's part of it for me is that for for at least for satisfying work there has to be some kind of a of objective or bigger goal that we're working towards um and it's more than just the tasks i think i think one of the ways that that i look at both my quote unquote real job and and my ranch job is that there's there's kind of the day-to-day -day mundane things that have to get done every day, feeding guard dogs, building fence, returning emails, returning phone calls. And then there's the kind of the bigger picture things, the thinking about our genetic program or how we're going to manage lambing or, you know, thinking about the kinds of research or extension projects that, uh, that will serve people I work with, the ranchers that I work with. So I, I think ran, the ranching for profit folks would call that kind of working in the business and working on the business. And I think there's, there's elements of both in what we do every day. So as you're talking, I just kind of was developing my own answer to my own question. <laughs> Good. In, and I think you kind of hit on two different points there. And I think they both work together, but I feel like work is a, work is a sacrifice of some kind of immediate pleasure. So you're not going to, hmm. um, you're going to sacrifice yourself. You're going to do something hard. You're going to do something for something else. You're going to feed the guard dog, which is a mundane task. It's mm -hmm. not the best thing to do in the world. And you could be watching TV or playing ping pong or <laughs> um, recording a podcast but you're going out there and going to feed that dog so that dog can live, can thrive, can, you know, work. So you're sacrificing for that. But then there's also another element to work, which is kind of creativity or mm -hmm. some sort of you're, 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 you're not just feeding the dog because the dog has to be fed, right? You're feeding the dog because that dog has a purpose in a larger goal that you're working towards so it's like this creativity this planning this mm -hmm. meant you know this exercise mm -hmm. with a goal in mind that requires sacrifice today for the betterment of tomorrow and it doesn't mean that that work isn't there tomorrow it's you know that right. like feeding the dog is an everyday thing but it's a it's a long-term creative process that's going to benefit everybody in the eventual goal of raising food right you, you know right. eventually like that's the end goal of this whole thing is that and so i feel like that sacrifice and creativity are two aspects those two aspects have to exist for work to be work i think there's this is this is way down the rabbit hole that we knew we'd eventually go down that's why I put the list of questions <laughs> but one of the things that that strikes me and and this we kind of had a, a conversation about about an element of this before we started recording 
but it, it happens out where we've got our sheep lambing. So we're, we're, our winter feed lambing feed is in a big subdivision. And so there's people driving by all the time and people looking at what we do and enjoying the lambs bouncing around. And we're, you just, we both mentioned feeding dogs for 99.999% of the people in California, a dog is a pet. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I'm out walking around in, in the foothills outside hiking around, that's recreation for mm-hmm. 95, 99% of the folks. And yet for what you do and what I do, it, it we love to do it, but it's a job. Mm-hmm. So what makes that different for us than it would be for somebody out hiking at the Hidden Falls Park next door to where my sheep are or taking their dog for a walk? And I think part of it is that bigger, that bigger goal and and maybe part of it too is the understanding that we're lucky to be doing what we're doing, but there's an economic reason for doing it as well. Do you, do you think that that economic reason for doing it and the reason you get joy out of working in livestock, is is that more than just an economic reason? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. For me, I mean, and, and I'd be interested in your perspective on this too, because I think there's a scale, obviously a scale difference between what we do. Um, at our scale, if I didn't love doing it, the economics wouldn't justify spending the extra time outside of work hours doing it. So for me, part of it is the kind of the satisfaction and in, in caring for animals and raising a food product and a fiber product and all of that. But, but the economics are part of that satisfaction too. I, I do have to say that I enjoy getting the check when we sell our lambs. Yeah. Um, is that check that. a validation of the work? You know, is that, hmm. you know, is that, is that the encouragement that the work is right? You know, when you're able to sell your lamb crop at a profit and feed these people and they exchange money that provides for a living for you, that is a, it makes, you know, that's a validating, whatever you call it. It says this year was worth it. Yeah. To some degree, I think that's right. It's I, I, the phrase I use is that it's our report card. Mm -hmm. It's that feedback that we get as to whether we did it well this year or not. Part of the feedback. It's not the only thing that we measure, but yeah. But yeah. A lot of report cards, wool clip. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was one of those geeky students that liked getting the report cards you know yeah yeah so what about you i mean how how is there a difference in terms of scale and kind of that that um inherent satisfaction in what you do or joy in what you do uh i'd say that no i think that's applicable to all scales i i would say that we get the same satisfaction and i i think that's also um I mean, and not to go down a dark road, but I think that's why um, you look at like um, uh, suicides in agriculture are Mm -hmm. very high. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons that they are that is because so much of the validation of your efforts are tied to market prices. And when they go so far down or you feel there's such a big disservice being done, it it has a very negative um, effect on the on the mental. um, Yep health of farmers and ranchers you know on you your, go and you yep. you work your whole year to grow this lamb crop and then you take it to market and everybody says your product's worthless all of a sudden it's like why why am i here why am i doing this yeah and then the flip side happens when you get the record prices it's the most encouraging feeling you ever have because right. you go and you bring your product to town and everybody says this is the best i've ever seen i want it all and more yeah, that, that does the opposite, you know, and so but yeah. we're very sensitive as ranchers to that. And I would say that as I would say that that feeling is not tied to scale of operation. Um, I would agree. I, I, I would, would agree. I would argue um, that the I don't know, and this might get me in trouble, but the more um, the more what's the right word. Um, I want to say corporate, but it's, that's not the right term at all, because there are so many corporations that function with a family mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more uh, disconnected, the um, a hedge fund comes out and runs sheep, 
they don't have the same reaction as that, you know, Dan Macon in the right. foothills putting in his sweat equity into that U. So there right. is a disconnect in that. But like I said, there are, you know, you know, you can't use the word corporate versus non-corporate. I think that's a false story. That's just a tax I, tool. To me, it's more <laughs> it's more connected versus disconnected. Exactly. It's when you have a portfolio of 5,000 different things yep. and you don't care. You're just looking at, you know, you're looking at just trading companies back and forth. You don't really yep. necessarily care about that specific yep. thing. Yep. Um, but, you know, right when you get, when it gets down to agriculture and ag production, I think if you're vested in the sheep business very wholeheartedly there is just that huge satisfaction yeah that comes with it or huge effect on whether it's a high market or low market yeah i agree yeah i agree yeah so um you did you kind of alluded to it a little bit but um one of my next questions was kind of that work versus play you know you mentioned that you hike around the hill well take a sheep herder sheep herder goes out to the mountains they camp all summer they um, get to have campfires. They hang out with these sheep. They're able to throw sticks at trees and, <laughs> and um, they're able to, to hunt the occasional predator that, you know, they, they got some good adventure stories that, you know, it's a beautiful outdoor recreation, but then at the same time, it's work. It's hard. It's a lot of struggles. You got to build fence. You got to make sure you're going in the right ways. You're, you know, you're waiting on someone else to bring you your food for the week. You know, there, there's work there too. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, you know, I guess a couple questions, how do you differentiate work and play and should you differentiate work and play, <laughs> you, you know, kind of that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. And I think, you know, there's the, there's kind of the cliche that if you love, love your work, do what you love, you'll always love your work, something mm-hmm. like that. And there's probably some degree of truth to that. I think, for me, um, loving what I do means that even when I have, you know, so for example, this morning, we had a couple of lambs that, that for one reason or another, didn't make it through the night. And that's part of lambing, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, you feel, feel really bad about that kind of is a crummy start to the day. And yet I got to be outside walking through the tall grass and, and the oaks and looking at the, the product of decisions that we made several years ago, hitting the ground today. Well, and how and many lambs made it too, that you were exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think, I think there is some degree of, of kind of that recreation. I would pronounce it recreation for me that it's a kind of a renewal every day that I get to be out doing that sort of thing. It's almost a, like a spiritual type of concept for me. Recreation to me is, is going and buying a bunch of gear and spending a bunch of money. And, and that's not what I do every day. I kind of get to recreate this livelihood every day I go out. Why why do you think, why do you think people that are, you know, that that aren't connected to agriculture are so attracted to, um, I mean, recreation outdoors is through the roof. Everybody likes to do that kind of, why do you think that is so attractive? That's a good question. Do you think, I think maybe be interested in your perspective. I think it's part of our human nature. Mm -hmm. I think there's an, I think we have a need to be outside, um, physically and mentally and spiritually and, and, um, if your job doesn't allow that, I think finding ways to recreate outside is a, is kind of a logical extension of those jobs that don't provide the kinds of opportunities that you and I have. Um, I think that also then I come back to this kind of perception that what we do is just all recreation, you know, that it, that it, I'm out walking through the sheep and somebody thinks, Oh, Dan's just relaxing again today. You yeah. know? So I think that's there, that sets up this, this possibility that non ranching folks have a perception that we get to ride horses and ride four wheelers and walk through Sun, the country sunset all day as you ride in your horse. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But how, what's your perspective on that, Ryan? Um, I, I've been, you know, I've, I've, I've wrestled with this a bit. I mean, I think, I, I think that, um, 
I think we've gotten very good as a culture and society at trying to segment everything into yeah. holes. And then we're kind of cynical, I think, uh, towards a lot of different things. So work in, but, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's all wrong. Um, because I think there is kind of a, uh, I don't know what you call it. There is a lot of more modern jobs, I think are, um, are too far separated from creation of a thing they get you know your your job there, there's not a lot of uh, when, when you, and i think why when you i think nature is so attractive because it's truly uncontrollable uh, you can influence mm -hmm. it you can do things but it's very uncontrollable i mean and if it was controllable we wouldn't have any dead lambs until we sent them to the packing house we wouldn't have any Right. Um, global warming we wouldn't have any you know droughts or floods we'd control it all but we can't you know we just yeah. flat cannot control it all you can do is influence it and burn it <laughs> it's, and yeah. it's easier to destroy than it is to create yeah um but so but i think like this idea that um that work should not you know is not complementary to play or recreation i think is is a false um story I also think that work needs to be hard. I, work, hard work is good. Yeah, it's I not, agree. It's not a bad thing. It's not a scary thing. And um, and, and so I, I anyway, I'm kind of rambling quite a bit, but um, so I think. And then I, but then I also, I mean, I I scuba dive and spearfish, so I got my gear and I jump over to the coast and I go and I shoot these fish and I have this great time and it's super fun and it's it feels good. Part of that to me is actually the ability for myself to go out and get this fish that I can then cook and feed my family with it. So there's right. some, there's some value there in that. Right. Um, I also love hiking and going through nature and seeing these immaculate, I mean, I'll never forget going to Lemonelli Canyon in Nevada and seeing this incredible glacier carved deal and walking up 10,000 feet to the pass with my daughter. And yep. I mean, going through the different, you know, go past the tree line and everything. And that, that there's something there that, it is just it's so amazing because you know no matter how hard we try and how advanced our cell phones are and all of these crazy virtual reality like there's so much technology you still can't create that like it's just so amazing and i don't know you know as you're talking one of the things that strikes me about what both of us do for work is that we take we take pleasure in aspects of our work that it's mm -hmm that it's something we both enjoy doing. And the, the recreation that you just described, you know, I like to backpack with my daughters. I like to fish, I like to hunt. There's an element of work in our recreation too, right? Yeah. It's not passive recreation. We're, we're hiking to the top of the pass or we're figuring out how to use our gear better or. And it's, and it's with your daughters. It's with right, your faith. Right. You're, they're, right. they're, they're learning. You're showing, they're teaching, you're learning. Yep. And so it's not, uh, and even you take this to a family from the city that goes up to the mountain to go hiking. The people that want to come out and see those sheep, they're, they're engaged and they're right. bringing people, you know, they're trying to learn, they're trying to understand. Right. And that's a, I think that's really embedded in our DNA as people. We're just, that's part of I our human too. nature. So I do too. I do too. Yeah, I, th I think it's, I think it's really, <laughs> I asked the question separating the two, but I think it's very important to not, um, to not separate them, to, to view them as complementary things, play and work. Uh, I, I, th I think it, it's, yeah. Both. I agree. I agree. And, and to take that even one step further, I, I don't know very much about Navajo culture, but what little I've read about it is that, that part of it is finding beauty in every aspect of your life and, and acknowledging and, and appreciating that beauty. And, you know, dead lambs isn't a great way to start the morning, but watching the sun come up over the Sierra with snow on them. Yeah. That's a pretty nice moment to be outside, even For if you're dealing sure. with dead lambs. So. so I got a quote to read you here. I just want to get your thoughts on it because I think it applies to all this stuff, but it goes, those who do not possess the soil contribute to their labor. Hence, it may be truly said that all human subsidence is derived either from labor on one's own land or from some toil, some calling, 
which is paid for either in the produce of the land itself or that which exchanged for what the lands bring forth. So all of our existence as human gets down to this land and the creation that comes from it. And it's not just dirt or soil. It's actually a rancher's or a farmer's personality's imprint on that land that brings forth the bounty. We can't all just hunt and gather. We have to cultivate in order to produce enough food to feed the world. And so all existence, all technology, all luxury, all affluence, everything, when you strip it all down, it comes from that, that, that farmer, that rancher on that piece of land. And I think that's why there's such attraction to get back to nature, to understand it. And I think that's why when you're in farming and ranching, there's such a passionate connection to that work and what comes from it. Um, it's because it's just, that is the core of, of our, of all of our existence, so to say it's our, mm -hmm. it's the source of our well-being. And, you know, I, anyway, I have, what a, do you I'm, think of that? I'm looking at a book in my bookcase here called topsoil and civilization. And the whole book basically makes, makes that point that, that the only renewable source of fundamental wealth on this planet is what we can produce in the soil. Yeah. That, and that allows everything else that we do as a species to happen. It, it allows us to go to the moon. It allows us to, um, to use these cell phones. I mean, everything else that we've got comes from the fact that there are people who can take that resource of our topsoil and from it produce food and fiber that feeds more than themselves and their family. Yep. And I think that's the, that's, I think that may be part of, of our species fascination with nature, but I also think it takes a certain amount of um, kind of mental fortitude be able to do that day in and day out i be, i agree i think because the so i agree 100 percent. i think the virtues that it takes to do that are being more and more dismissed as mm -hmm. we become more and more affluent as as, the, as the society gets more and more disconnected from the ranch there's less and less tolerance for mistakes Right. And there's, which, you know, if you're living on a ranch, there's going to be mistakes and problems and things. I mean, that just, you're lambing, you're going to have some dead lambs. Yep. And there's nothing you can do about it except learn from it and try to do your best to prevent it the next year. But yep. next year, you're going to get another disease that you yep. couldn't control. Or and another set of weather circumstances or whatever. Yeah. 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 So. I think that's part of it. I also think, so maybe this comes back to your first question about work and about kind of the toil part of it. Um, and we've talked about this before. By the end of irrigation season, I'm really tired of getting up every morning and dragging K-line around behind the four-wheeler. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's kind of this. So when you're, when you're in that mental state and you're tired in the morning, what motivates you to get up and do it? <laughs> what do you think of, you know, that gets you out of bed? It's what I do. Yeah. It's what I do. Yeah. What, what motivates you when you reach that point? My kids. To... Really? Yeah. I think of my kids and my family and I think, you know, I got to do this for them. You know, I got to set the example. I got to do it for them. I got to teach them, teach them that it's worth it. And teach the value of, of yeah. kind of sticking with something i think too yeah and i mean and then there's also the call to take care of that animal i mean moving k-line isn't as important as feeding hay <laughs> when you get right feed. but right. like there definitely that's in the background too but yeah. i'd say like immediately when you say that it might my, my my kids come to my mind first they're 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 very yeah and it's I, I think that's a good point i think it's more than just kind of this sense of of judeo-christian responsibility that that sometimes can get in our way at least in my way that i'm yeah. i can't be responsible for everything but i think the people that have stuck with farming or ranching over the long haul have figured out a way to work through kind of the the mental challenge of that tediousness mm -hmm. and 
realize that that there's value in doing something every day over the long term at the end of a season or at the end of a uh you know at the end of your life there's some value in that yeah absolutely i the might when superior did that commercial on my family that youtube deal and uh, my grandpa they interviewed my grandpa during it and during it he was talking about like the 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 value of ranching and why it's so important and he said something in there it was like um the the money is meaningless <laughs> but the ranch is life like it is life and it's that work yeah. that defines the life and it gets back to that um to uh james rebank's book uh, the shepherd's life and like that how these sheep are hefted to this place and yeah. the, those sheep and the people who ran those sheep their thumbprints their fingerprints are on that land yeah and it has fed millions of people over the year like it's just yeah there there's a there's an incredible connection to the meaning to meaning and purpose and all of these things that people search for in yeah livestock production in in ag agriculture and you start putting terms like that it kind of almost devalues the reality of what it really means and once you're in it you start to actually realize that so much more than any words could describe i think do you think part of it uh, this may be maybe just me but part of it for me is this opportunity and reason to be out and see the landscapes that we're in, in every mood that they have, to see it through drought, to see it through wildfire smoke, to see it through springtime, to see it covered with snow, just to be able to notice those little things that you can only notice if you're there every day. And that, I guess, maybe that's a difference between my daily walks through the sheep and a backpacking trip. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a call for sure. People love getting out. I think that's one of the reasons why people like hiking or like getting outdoors is for that experience. Um, I just, as you're describing that stuff, I, I think, I think that's one of the things that makes it really important that societies value the voice of farmers and ranchers because in times of crises, they are often the most moderating voice. Mm -hmm. because they've been through it so many times mm -hmm. you know we go through it on a monthly annual basis mm -hmm. but a bad drought affects a city mm -hmm. one time in a hundred years you know so mm -hmm. to say it like mm -hmm. it you know you almost need the voices of that farmer mm -hmm. and rancher in order to help moderate the um help moderate the chaos hmm. so to say <laughs> i when i was just starting my career just out of college um this would have been in the probably the mid 90s i was meeting with a bunch of public lands ranchers up in in surprise valley um up in modoc county and people were really worried that that the government was going to close off all the public lands grazing and mm -hmm. you know it was just total wreck and i can remember this this guy named don koopman who was a rancher up there a cattle guy who was probably at that time about your grandpa's age. And he looked around, we were sitting at breakfast and he looked around and said, you know, this is about the fourth or fifth time in my lifetime that somebody was going to put us out of business. Mm -hmm. We're still here. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure out how to, how to make this work. And that's, that's kind of that long-term perspective yeah. I think that's helpful too. Yeah. And, but then the flip side of that is, I mean, there's, legitimate time people are going out of business doing yep. stuff like that and i i think yep. it's i agree i really it, it really concerns me because it seems like the farmer's voice is getting more and more dismissed but i think in and i think you look at like marketing schemes i love looking at marketing schemes because it kind of it's actually just um it's the science of human nature right that, that's what they're trying to do is influence your natural um, influences but um you could watch the Super Bowl and half of the commercials have some kind of rugged outdoors <laughs> farm ranch. And, and it's because I think it's so built into our nature to appreciate that person. And I think you have like um, you have animal rights organizations that are spending millions and millions and millions, probably billions of dollars a year 
to get people to stop eating meat and stop ranching and farming. They've been doing this for 40 years. They haven't made any progress in like actual meat consumption. If anything, they've lost because we've grown it. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's so bred into our human nature to respect and appreciate that, that, that job, you know, or that, that work that's being done that people appreciate it without even knowing it. And they're attracted to it without even knowing it. And then once you're able to actually experience it and draw these connections, it just like opens up a world mm -hmm. that, that, um, you know, it's just, it's really lacking, but you go to like, um, just California politics and, you know, it, it, ag, the ag voice is so much weaker than it was 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that's a, that's definitely a challenge for us as we go forward. I'll never yeah. forget. I was helping my daughter with her homework. Uh, she's in eighth grade, seventh grade. I don't know, a couple of weeks ago and they were, it was on the Roman empire. And they said the reason, like one of the main reasons the Roman empire crashed or collapsed is because they're um, they were so affluent and they didn't have enough people working in the fields, raising ag products to feed the cities. Period. Like that's one of the main contributors to the collapse of the Western Roman empire. And I like read that like five times, like what, what? <laughs> huh, sounds but, familiar. <laughs> I know, but that, I think it gets back to that connection and that, that actually respecting and listening to that. And then as a culture valuing that work and not looking at it as something gross or something that needs to be regulated out. Uh, I mean, you look at like a lot of, a lot of different worker safety regulations actually regulate out hard work mm -hmm. and risk because a lot mm -hmm. of hard work has brings with it innate risks and it's just it's a challenge i think it's a really big challenge i agree and i think i think it also gets back the word i was trying to find when i was thinking about the end of irrigation season persistence is a is a value or a trait yeah. that i think is is part of what we do and that's undervalued to some degree you know mm -hmm. being able to push through those yeah. kind of mental and physical barriers. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite quotes is, um, is uh, we even boast of our afflictions for afflictions produce endurance and endurance proven character. And I, I really love that one. Cause I think it just, it's really true to, to, uh, and you go, a lot of people, when they complain about doing something, I, I, um, I was stuck for like six hours on the grapevine on Monday morning, Sunday night or yeah, Monday night, Tuesday morning. I don't know. Anyway, ridiculous. <laughs> Got home at 4 20 AM anyway. But like, I love telling that story because I did it. I've made yeah. it through it. Yeah. And that, 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 that affliction produced the endurance that showed my proven character to see that thing through, you know, it's like, and yeah. everybody does that. Yeah. Um, and I think when you get to work like that, that work is something to be celebrated. And when you see people working hard, you should, your reaction should almost be, man, I want to work as hard as them and work with them. I want to engage with them. I want to jump in there and work with them. And I want to go home tired and I want to go home sweaty and exhausted because I accomplished something good today. And it mm -hmm. might just be building a fence post, but I accomplished that because then now when I go to the, the restaurant and I see that plate of food being plated, the, the lamb chops, I had a hand in that. <laughs> and then on the flip side of that, the, the packers that produced that cut, broke that lamb and put it in a box and sent that beautiful chop to that right restaurant that takes pride and joy. The drivers that took that product and got it, you know, halfway across the country, they took it from, um, Sacramento and drove it down to Austin, Texas and got it in that restaurant. Like there's pride in that work. Mm -hmm. And then even like the restaurant itself, you have this chef that's creating this incredible experience with this thing and it's this culmination of work and you got the waiters that are bringing it to the table and i mean even the dishwashers that are cleaning the dishes and all of that like it's it's all good work that brings this beautiful experience and feeds this person that sends them home happy and contented and they come up with and it happened to be steve jobs and he comes up with the iphone you know or something you know what i mean <laughs> like it's a like it all works together. It's all from that land kind of brings through that system and there needs, you know, the closer you can get to creation, the more value of somebody should have in their work. Um, I think it's really hard when you start getting disconnected from work and your job is, um, I don't know what a good example is. Um, 
Uh, your job is filing carb compliance uh, sheets for uh, Air Resources <laughs> Board. You know, like that. It's really hard to extract meaning. It's very far away from it, and you can do it still. But the closer you are to that actual, you know, it's like a building a car. If you're, uh, if you design the car, it's a lot easier to take pride in that design of that car than if you're way down on the assembly line and you're screwing the bolt. Uh, that holds the muffler onto the chassis you know like mm -hmm. that is a lot harder and then if you're working in um you know way even further down the line where you're just you're a compliance <laughs> officer and that like it's really you know the further you get away from that actual product um the harder it is to be proud of your work and there's so many people that are really separated away from the the creation that i think that kind of creates that that tension between work and um, play, so to say, that should be complementary. One of my realizations um, as I've gotten older is that, that I'm most satisfied with work where I can see the results either at the end of the day or the end of the season that, that I'm connected directly. I can look back and say, I did that. I made yeah. that. I'm responsible for that. And I, I think we've all had jobs or parts of jobs where that wasn't true. You know, I, that's, it's far less satisfying for me to spend a day here in the office signing paperwork than it is to put on a workshop or go out and collect data on a particular question that I'm trying to find an answer to or building fence and moving sheep. Yeah. And that, that kind of satisfaction with work, I think is directly connected for me to those tangible results too yeah absolutely i'm gonna segue <laughs> my brain is my brain I, I guess i spent too much time for my ADAD. we're gonna whiplash yeah no same subject but um the other thing i think that's important to bring up and we kind of alluded to it a little bit uh, but it really gets to that value of product like seeing the product at the end and i think um, over the last 150 years or so, as the U.S. has industrialized and grown in their economy, you've had a conflict grow between the workers and the, the owners, so to say. Um, and there's so much uh, built-in kind of fight between them. And I came across some stuff and, and they were talking about that. And I think um, first off, I think it's incredibly important. And I think that's where ranching, especially the smaller the scale is, the more family oriented it is. The owner and the employee become more equals. Mm -hmm. They don't get paid the same mm -hmm. because the risks are different. Mm -hmm. But the work and the pride taken in the end product is the same, the more even you can have that relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think where you look at like manufacturing, you've had a disconnect in those, mm -hmm. but in agriculture, you have a lot more even um, distribution of that pride. And I think that's, this is totally going out on a limb, but I think that's one of the reasons why like the autom automobile industry um, was able, able to uh, create the labor union so easily. And in agriculture, it's so different. It's so difficult is because that ag producer um, from all, like it's a little more equal in the share of the work. I think as you kind of separate out and the farms get bigger and bigger, there's more separation and there's more opportunity for that. But I do think that there's, the more even you can have those, that relationship, it you're able to take equal pride in the product, which then helps kind of everybody kind of share in the, in the efforts, you know, or take credit for the share in the efforts, you know, the guy on the meat counter in the plant that's trimming the racks can take just as much pride in that rack on the shelf as the farmer out in the field that sold the lamb to the plant as the salesperson that sell, you know, there's more equality there, I think, or I don't know if equality is the right word, but. I would, I would go even a step further on that. I think, I think to some degree, the sheep business, mm -hmm is more that way than many other parts of the agricultural um, industry. hundred yeah. percent. And I, I think part of it, um, part you know, of it, ex I'd expand that to, to range livestock, you know, beef. 
I, I'd include beef in there very much. So and even dairy to, to an to, extent too. To some degree, but I think yeah. the capital requirements for beef production and dairy production yeah. are significantly different than they are for sheep. Yeah. And I think that's an element um, of it too. Although I, you know, w- when we talk about, about agricultural labor here within the foothills and, and talk about um, range livestock, virtually all of the labor is either family labor or, or the, the owner um, yeah. in many, many cases. And I think, so I do think that, that probably you're right. Rangeland livestock in particular is more that way. Um, yeah. I'm reading, Espe- a- especially like when you get out to the high desert country, yeah. you, you go out there and the, the owner that has this giant ranch that covers millions of acres He's the he's wearing the dirtiest pants, and the, <laughs> crappy, you know, the boots that are falling apart. He's working just as hard as anybody else on the ranch. They're all working hard. All of yep. them. There's yep. no differentiation there. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think there's a beauty in that. And I think there's a recognition of that. Of that, those people, everybody that's working on a farm, we all kind of have you know, we all have this equal call to it, you know, this equal call to that work. And my last, I know we're running out of time here, but my last, go ahead. You got something on your tongue. I go on. I'm going to, I want to find this quote because it's awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to really go out on a limb, but go ahead with your cool. I love it. Well, I, I guess one of the things that I wanted to emphasize with this is that I think in agriculture, what we've been able to maintain more than other industries, which is one of the things that creates that, you know, you always talk to people. They love raise. I love raising my kids in agriculture. You love going to ag events and i think it's because we've been able to maintain our industry associations in an equal access opportunity to anybody that's involved in the product it's not just the the owners that are going to these things it's not just an elect group it's anybody who's interested in sheep is able to come to these things yep. and almost have an equal seat at the table and the more you know, we've, we've lost a lot of industry associations. Like our farm bureau used to have potlucks every week in our town. Well, the town farm bureau is collapsed and now the County is what's there. And then you have the state organization and like, we're losing our local associations. And those are the most important things to keep our ag economy strong. Keep Mm -hmm. those. We got to have those associations and getting together with everybody. Yeah, you know, from the post hole digger to the top guy in the state, everybody. Yep. 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 And I do think I do think that the space between the post hole digger and the top guy in our business is much shorter than in most. Yeah. And that's how it should be. Yeah. You you really need to have that. Yep. So I'm going to read you a quote and from a book, one of my favorite books, a book called Fencing the Sky by a guy named James Galvin. And this is two ranchers talking together. One guy was kind of um, kind of a hippie rancher and the other guy was a real conservative, part-time large animal vet, ran cows. Mike's the hippie guy, Oscar's the vet. Mike had tried to convince Oscar that a community of small ranch family, families was the perfect Marxist society where everyone had enough, but not too much. Everyone worked together, loaning machinery, lending a hand, a utopian way of life. (laughs) Oscar says, funny, I thought that was freedom. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, you know, I I think I've worked with with you a little bit and your crew and, and you've worked around us a little bit. I think about sharing at our little operation. I mean, it, everybody's pitching in and it, not only the folks in the operation, but there are elements of all of that where neighbors are pitching in. I mean, you talked about your neighbor bringing a scale so you could weigh those lambs. And so there's a community element to our work that may be different outside of agriculture, I think, that that I find really rewarding and valuable. The, the fact that I get to get to work around other people um, that have other experiences, but we're all kind of equals when we're doing the work is really rewarding to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think it's, it's shared on like, um, 
you know, when you go through the drought, I mean, I depended on my neighbors and my neighbors depended on me and we we helped yep. each other out as best we can. And, and yep. I think that's, yep. that's, Same that's here. really, really Same important. Um, yeah, absolutely. Really, yep. really valuable, but it's that gets back to that community. And I think communities are built through challenges. And if you can make that challenge, the production of a good to sell to the world, that's a very good, noble endeavor. Uh, I, it's much, much better than going through a drought or a depression. Or <laughs> but communities are built through work too. So I think that's about, what I mean. They're built through yeah, work. Yeah. yeah. And you think about that, like Detroit, Detroit was a company town built by work. The laborers yep. in there built that town. And yep. the, even you had um, Ford Motor Company, they were by, they were paying for the schools. They were getting the houses. I mean, they, they valued those employees in the early days. Um, you know, that's all changed over the years, but there, there's so much community built around work like that. Yeah. You can't, if you just, if you're just going to take and not contribute, that hurts. That's a disservice, I guess, to those who are contributing. And it's, and it's almost an insult to yourself and your own human dignity. Cause you're not, there's so much value derived from the creation of a good. And I think it, it doesn't mean that your job has to be the best. You could be a, like um, you could build furniture and be a craftsman on the side. And that craft is where you find your, you know, the hobby is where you find your meaning and you find value. And you see that in explosions of people loving. I mean, there's so many hobbies that were picked up during COVID. Right. Um, and that's all kind of an expression of self. You know, if you go and you create a table that has your, you know, thumbprints on that. And that's a creation of a good that gives you pride that you're able to sell and someone's able to give you money to tell you they liked what you did. And well, and I think I think if I look at the the communities that are kind of artificially created in my part of the world, you know, the the yeah. master plan developments where everybody gets up and goes away in the morning to their own job and comes back in the evening. That's a different sense of community than me driving down Joker road and seeing Joe Fisher pulling a gooseneck full of cattle and pulling over and stopping to talk five minutes about feed conditions. That's a, yeah. it's because we've worked together. And I think that's a, that sense of work is part of the sense of community too. Yeah. So to, so to sum this up, cause we're running, pushing an hour now, but to sum this up, Thought we were going four hours today the, yeah we were gonna try to do that but i i'm tired <laughs> no, no i could talk about this forever i got a whole i got a whole paper here full of quotes i can read you but um i think the solution to the world's problems are more potlucks more potlucks and more sheep more potlucks just more potlucks you can bring sheep to the potluck. okay okay yeah all right but you got more potlucks because just like you're saying, you know, like those master plan communities in Rio Vista is turning into that. I mean, the locals are moving out mm -hmm. and they're being replaced by commuters. Mm -hmm. And there's some great people that we've met that are coming in and, and it's, it's all good. But at the same time, it, it's not, um, there's not the same, I don't know what you call it, um, commitment to the community on mm -hmm. somebody that just moves in. You know, they're looking for things that'll help them. Mm -hmm. rather than ways to help the community and mm -hmm. when you're born and raised in a town you, you know the sadness of seeing a change isn't because you don't like change it's because you um you're i don't know how do you say that that that, that sadness comes from somewhere that is important to be attentive to i guess it's that it's a loss it's a lot yeah it's a loss of 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 commitment to that community so to say and mm -hmm. you know once that development gets established the you know they like we have the big retirement town that moved in 20 years ago that changed there was a sense of loss there was a lot of people frustrated about it. there's still people mad about that but that is such an established part of our community now that now it's part of the community it took 20 right. years right and now right. that's the community and um I think that sadness that you get when something like that comes in, it's because you know that change is coming and you know that community that was built on these experiences is going to be lost and changed. Mm -hmm. And that change could be good. The change could be bad, but change brings unknown, which can kind of create some can of that be sadness. difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's important when that happens that you 
you know, whatever you call it, you feel that you recognize it for what it is. And then you hope for the opportunity to improve. Right. Then you work yep. for the improvement, but, um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. It's fascinating to me and our culture is changing so quickly and, um, so rapidly. And I mean, COVID's had such a crazy effect on everything and, um, the housing boom and the migration of people out of California and the, the, uh, Desperia out of the, uh, cities into the, suburbs i mean that was big before but th- i mean last year it's been insane yeah and um yeah a lot yeah. of change but man get out there get yourself some chickens in your backyard and get back together with nature and have a potluck in your community and <laughs> and <laughs> all I'm, the world problems i'm happy to provide a couple of bottle lambs for anybody that wants them in their backyard too oh there you go you're not going to raise your own like i did <laughs> oh we say that yeah. every year I got it. We're going to wean. I'll be weaning a bunch next week uh, of bottle lambs that are mixed into that band. So I'll have to let you know how they did. I'll I, send some pictures to you. That would be good. We always say we're going to try to find somebody else to raise them and we always end up doing it. So, yeah, well, I got we got ours ear tagged and they're mixed in with that bunch. So we haven't been feeding them milk for, I don't know, a month and a half now, but awesome. I'll, I'll have to show you. So show you yeah. that, that, that they're not all gimpy. They all <laughs> do well. awesome i won't take a picture of the of the gimpy one (laughs) (laughs) you don't have any gimpy ones right no never 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 uh -uh. we sort those out and get the weights up (laughs) yeah uh well thank you this has been fun ryan yeah no that was a good i i enjoy that i enjoy that kind of talk because it i i i like thinking like that so i do too yeah too Thank you very much and appreciate it. And uh, get back out there to those pens and, and uh, lamb some sheep, huh? We will. We will. This is Sheep Stuff You Should Know. I'm Dan Macon up in Auburn, California, and Ryan Mahoney down at the Amy Livestock World headquarters um, in Rio Vista. Have a great week. Take care, Dan. See you later. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs>